indeed we serve a great God, a mighty God, a God who's mighty to save through his own son, Jesus Christ, and the cross. We're grateful for that. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We come to this third chapter today in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been looking at this for the last 26 weeks or so as we've studied this uh, sermon thus far together. We've probably got about, well, several more to go before we come to the end of it. Just to remind you a little bit about this sermon, it, you know that when the, it was first written down by Matthew, indeed when it was spoken by Jesus, it wasn't broken down into chapters and verses, it was just a sermon. And probably what we have here is not the full text of everything Jesus said, but, but sort of the notes that Matthew took as we would talk about today, what he heard, what he remembered, what he recounted, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But it's amazing how it breaks down naturally into three things, really, for these three chapters. Thus, the reason they broke them down where they did. The, the first one, chapter 5, sort of deals with the, and emphasizes the coming of the kingdom of God and all of its implications, especially as it relates to the kingdom, or excuse me, to the law of God. If you remember the first, first chapter, chapter 5, you have the Beatitudes. And then you have Jesus saying things like, you know, it has been said, but I tell you. And every time he did that, he took an essence of the law. You've heard it been said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already with her in your heart. Or you've heard it said that you shall not kill. But I say to you that if you have thought angry thoughts toward someone and you have, you have just hated them, then you've already broken that commandment. And Jesus said, listen, what you need to understand is a wooden-headed, literalistic obedience to the law is not where it's at. It's not what really matters. As a matter of fact, that can only condemn, that can only bring you to a point of seeing your need for a Savior in Jesus Christ. And so in that first chapter, he's declaring, or in that fifth chapter, he's declaring that the kingdom of God has come. And that was his message, that was his sermon that, uh, throughout the whole book of Matthew that Matthew really emphasizes. Then in chapter 6, we saw an emphasis on the fatherhood of God to all believers and the freedom that that knowledge gives us. He taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. And he began to stress the significance of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and as such to be a child of God. We know the fatherhood of God. What a glorious thought. Now in our day you hear a lot of people talking about the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Thus meaning everybody is brothers and sisters and, and God is the father of everybody no matter what. Jesus never taught that. Jesus never said, well, God's just everybody's father and everybody's a part of his kingdom and everybody belongs to him in a salvific sort of way. They're, they're, they're his by creation, there's no doubt. But there is a special, unique relationship of father-child when a person is in Christ, when a person comes to that saving knowledge and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and chapter 6 is kind of showing the significance of that, showing the importance of that, and the freedom that it gives us. And we looked at that clearly. And, and last week, the freedom that comes from worry, because we know God is Father. Don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry about anything. Don't you know that you shouldn't worry about clothing because God clothes the fields with lilies and flowers that are beautiful, and He cares a whole lot more about, them, about you than He does them. 
Don't worry about where your food's going to come from, why he feeds the birds of the air, and he cares a whole lot more for you than he does for them. And so Jesus goes on and says, listen, there's a freedom, there is an exhilarating freedom that comes from knowing God is Father. And chapter 6 expounds that and uh, uh, breaks that down for us a bit. Now we come to chapter 7. He's talked about the kingdom. He's talked about the fatherhood of God. And now he's going to talk about the judgment of God. He's going to emphasize the judgment of God and the impact that this makes on the way we live. Now, i got to tell you, when you get to the latter part of chapter 7, there are a lot of people that get real uncomfortable with that because he's going to make some very emphatic statements about what a relationship with him is and, and how it's not what sometimes we think that it is. It's not doing a lot of good stuff. It's not being showy in how we try to live. But rather it is an intimate relationship that matters. And in that day, him being able to say, I know you. I know you intimately. I know you in a relationship. And a lot of people get real uncomfortable with that because they don't understand the gospel fully. And we get to that, we'll unfold the gospel again as we try to do every week. And we'll unfold it as it relates to that. But in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 7, we come to the first part where he starts talking about judgment. And the first thing he wants to make sure we understand is we're not the judge. We're not the judge. He is. And we're not. Now, if you look at the title of the sermon, the bulletin, I put there, it's a rather lengthy title for a sermon, but the most quoted and yet misunderstood verse in the Bible. That's verse 1. Have you ever said anything to anybody about maybe something that was going on in their life or even something that was going on on the world stage and you say, you know, that's just not right. And they immediately say to you, they immediately quote the Word of God. They may not ever read the Word of God. They may not have ever read past this verse. But they immediately quote to you, judge not, lest ye be judged. They usually use King James language there. Judge not, lest you be judged, you know. And, 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 of course, usually that is, is intended to and, and many times does just take us aback. It, it kind of takes us off guard, and that's what it's intended to do, to throw us off our discussion of whether something is right or wrong. And the clear implication of someone quoting that way is that you have no right to make any kind of moral judgment. You have no right to make any kind of judgment of good or evil. You should just keep your mouth shut and, and uh, subscribe by the cultural mandate that we live under today, just live and what? Let live. Yeah. Just live and let live. Let everybody do their own thing. You don't worry about them. You just live your life and don't think about anything else outside of that. I want you to know this morning that is not what Jesus is talking about. He's going to make it clear in this passage we're going to read. Verse 6, at the end of what I'm going to read, is going to talk about making some clear thinking judgment decisions. It's very clear when he says, you know, don't, don't throw the good things to the dogs and don't cast your, swine, uh, your, your pearls before swine. I mean, those were not very flattering terms. In that day, they, they didn't have household dogs like we do. You know, they, they didn't have little pets that lived with you and, and in your home and and you fed them nice meals, and sometimes better than you eat, and, and you take care of them, you know, in, in such a loving and gentle sort of way. In that day, the dogs were usually ravenous animals that just roamed the countryside, and there were hundreds and thousands of them, and they were hated by the people. They weren't loved like Scuffy or Pooch or whatever. 
You know, they were, they were a hated and dreaded thing. And don't even, don't even go there with, with swine or pigs. I mean, they were, by the law, they were dirty animals. They were hated animals. And, and even in our day, you don't typically go around calling yourself a pig or a hog and proud of unless you're an Arkansas fan, or, or a dog, unless you're a Georgia fan. You just don't apply that to yourself. And so here you have a situation where Jesus is saying, judge not or you'll be judged, and at the same time saying, make thinking clear biblical judgments. He's, he's balancing that, and unless we see the balance and unless we understand it, we will miss the context. We will miss the meaning and the importance of what Jesus is saying. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. Now this is the word of our God. And it's a word that we need to hear very clearly today. Don't judge. Do not judge so that you will be not be judged. And for in that way, in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and your standard and by your standard of measure, it will be measured out to you. What in the world is God saying? What is Jesus saying? in those verses. Well, there's several things. First of all, I think he's saying it's important that your standard be right. He says, don't judge or you'll be judged. And whatever standard you choose to judge others by, it's by that standard that you'll be judged. It's in that way that you'll be treated. Now, some commentators, and I tend to almost agree with them, uh, although it's not clearly stated, says that verse 1 is talking about our relationship to God. Verse 2 is talking about our relationship to one another. The standard you choose by which to judge other people, it is that standard by which you will be judged. They'll treat you the way you treat them. They will judge you in the same manner with which you have judged them. Be sure your standard is right. You know what I found out with a lot of people? With a lot of people, their standard is whatever Somebody else is doing, if I'm just a little bit better than that, that becomes my standard, what I'm doing. I can always look around and say, you know, I'm living out the Christian life better than so-and-so. And we'll start pointing to things in their life that say, you know, they ought not be doing that and they ought not be doing this. And we find ourselves doing things that are equally as bad or even greater in our own sin, but we refuse to see that. We set the standard at such so that we can always feel good about who we are and where our Christian walk is by looking around at other people and always picking out someone that hadn't quite risen to the level, or at least we don't think, has quite risen to the level that we have. Jesus says, here's the problem there. And he uses this illustration. He uses a, almost a parable there to talk about. It's not called a parable, but it looks like one. He uses this picture. And i got to tell you, I believe the disciples probably had a big grin on their face or maybe even broke out in a little laughter when he said this. 
He said, you spend so much time looking at the speck in your brother's eye, the little bitty splinter, the little bitty piece of sin that's in your brother's eye, and you fail to see the log or the beam that's sticking in your own eye. Now, you know, they were laughing because they knew nobody was walking around with a beam in their eye. Nobody's walking around with a log sticking out. Wouldn't that be a funny-looking thing, you know? A, a log. Nobody they saw standing around listening to the sermon on the mountainside had anything that looked like that. But they understood what he was saying. They understood he was saying, so often we spend our time nitpicking over other people's sins and not paying any attention to our own. As a matter of fact, sometimes we get angry with people because of sin in their life. And we get angry because they do something that we don't think they ought to do or or we think they ought to avoid. And we find ourselves just really blasting them when all the time they're looking at us saying, well, why don't you get your own life straightened out before you start straightening out my life? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying you've got to be careful when you start judging other people by your standards Because your standards are what will be thrown back in your face and your standards are typically something you cannot stand up to. But he's saying, listen, be aware, be noticing, be discerning, be understanding when you come to this sort of thing. I think the greatest example of that is found in the book of 2 Samuel. And chapter 12 there, if you'll recall that story about David, we used it for another illustration a few weeks ago, but it, it fits so clearly here. You remember that David has just had an affair with Bathsheba. He has committed adultery with her, has conceived a son by her, and to try to cover it up, he has committed murder and larceny and lying. And every, I mean, he's broken just about every one of the Ten Commandments. He is really in a bad situation. And once it's, it's, it's done and over, and, and God appears to Nathan the prophet and says, Nathan, go to David. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And this is what he said. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in one city. One was rich and the other poor. Now the rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought bought and he nourished it. And it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. It was a little pet, this lamb had become. And it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe, lamb, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. When David heard this, his anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, I mean, taking the Lord's name as a seal and a surety, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no compassion. Now can't you just see this? David is sitting there in judgment. We we talked about how in that day it's not like us today where we have a court system and an executive system and a, a legislative system. The king, David, was all of those. He not only ruled and led the armies and did everything else, or he should have been out leading the army when this happened, but he not only did those things, but he was also the judge. He was the supreme judge of the nation. And so Nathan comes to him and says, I've got this situation, David, and I, I need for you to pass some judgment on it. 
And David said, certainly, what is, your, what is the problem? And he tells him this story about this little lamb, this poor guy, and, and this rich guy who takes it some way by theft or by, by force, and he takes it from him, he kills it, feeds his company, and, and the poor man had nothing. David heard this. Now remember, this is David who is sitting there with adultery and murder and lying and deception and everything else on his back that he's not sought the face of God for forgiveness for. He's trying to still cover it up and hope no one finds out. And you know, nobody would have had it not been the very one who knew it and saw it, revealed it to the prophet Nathan. That was God himself. So God revealed it to Nathan. Nathan went to him. He tells him the story. And here's David with all that sin on his back. And this little lamb, an animal... Not another human being was killed and cooked and given away to, to his, this rich man's friends, but a lamb was killed, and David became angry, it says. His anger burned. The, the Hebrew there gives the, the picture of not something that just said, wow, I'll, I'll take care of that, but, but he seethed over it. He thought about it, and he said, man, that man has to pay back fourfold. That was in accordance with the law. That was stated in the Bible. But he went a step further, and he said, that man deserves to die. That was not in the law. That was David's anger burning. And Nathan got David right where he wanted him. He came in and he told a little story and David reacted just like he knew he would because Nathan knew that when we have sin in our life, we sin to react angrily and hypocritically towards somebody else's sin. We tend to get all bent out of shape over somebody else's sin because we hope that if that sin is exposed and that sin becomes the focal point, then ours will remain covered up. And Nathan looked at him and he said, Well, David, King, you're the man. You're the one that did this. Now, David didn't steal a lamb. He stole a wife. David didn't kill a lamb. He killed her husband. David didn't do any of these things, literally speaking, that this parable talks about, but he did everything spiritually to violate the spirit of that. You know, that's what happens in our lives so often. That's what Jesus is saying here. For the believer, for the persons in the family of God, you, you ought not be judging by your standards. The judgment that matters is the judgment of God's word. Now, now, if you're taking God's word and you're saying, listen, such and such is a sin and such and such is wrong, not because I've established that, but because God has said that. And if I have first gone before God and said, Lord, show me my own sin, cleanse me of my own sin, take away this log that's in my eye so I can deal with the speck in my brother's eye and help my brother see his sin or my sister see her sin, then that's one thing. To say, Lord, cleanse this away, show me your truth, and let me deal with it. That's okay. You see, when we call something wrong or evil or sin that God's Word says is wrong or evil or sin, we're not passing judgment, folks. We're just saying, thus saith the Lord. But if we do it in such a way that we are picking out selective sins, always sins that we don't do, you know, it's easy for me to get mad at somebody because they do something that maybe is sin or, or maybe is just not good judgment. 
But I don't do it. It's easy for me to call that sin and point to them and be judgmental of them when in reality I'm struggling with some bigger sins than they have. Jesus says the important thing here in do not judge is that you are not the judge. One way of looking at this is, is you don't have the right to tell anybody where to go in our current vernacular. You just go to, you know, you don't have that right to do that. You're not the judge. You can't tell someone to go to hell or to heaven. You can't make that differentiation because you're not capable of doing that. Don't pass that kind of judgment. And don't pass judgment based on your own standards. Be sure that the standard by which you judge will be judged back on you. If it's a biblical standard, it'll be applied by a righteous and a holy and a gracious God. If it's a non-biblical standard, it'll come back to bite you by others who are seeing the hypocrisy in your life. Now, Jesus is saying here, this is important, folks. This is something you have to learn to live with. Don't judge by your standard. Judge by the Word of God. But let the Word of God first judge you before you start using it to judge others. Jesus says that is critical. That is absolutely critical. We know Jesus didn't mean don't pass any kind of judgment because in John chapter 7, verse 24, he made this statement. He said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance, have you ever heard those, the statement, you know, things aren't always like they appear to be? That's what he's saying. You don't know the background. You don't know the underlying truth sometimes. And if you judge just by appearance, by the way you see things, many times it will be a bad judgment. Judge according to a righteous judgment. Where do we find a righteous judgment of all things? In the Word. In God's Word. God's spoken Word. So Jesus says, do that. He's talking about our outlook. He's talking about our seeing, getting logs out of our eyes so that we can see things as they really are, so we can judge with a righteous judgment. Then he comes to that last verse. Uh, I got an email from a friend about a week and a half ago who said, look, can you tell me what in the world this means? Verse 6. Well, verse 6 has no meaning apart from verses 1 through 5. And it almost looks like it's just stuck in there, but I assure you it's not. Jesus says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or pigs or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You know, Jesus didn't heal everybody that was around. Jesus used parables and said, you know, when, when uh, Elisha was sent to the to the widow. She was not the only widow in, in the area where Elisha went. But he went there because God directed him to go there because there was one who was open to the word. When the apostles went out, he went out, they went out clearly proclaiming the word of God. And where they were received, they continued to work there. But where they were rejected and where they, they treated the gospel as commonplace and as of no real value, they turned and did what Jesus said in, later in this book of Matthew after, where he says, if they don't receive you, turn and shake the dust from your feet. 
as you leave the house or leave the city. What he's saying here is, listen, we must be sensible in our judgments. And sensible in our judgments come from the Word of God. Not from our own feelings, not from our own prejudices, not from our own thinking. Serious, sensible judgment comes from knowing God's Word and first testing my life by it. And then letting it flow out to those who I care about and those I love and those I want to help get through certain situations. You know one of the biggest violations I think of of these words that Jesus is talking about here that's seen in the world today and James deals with it in his gospel and in his epistle and, and it's dealt with in the gospels. One of the biggest violations of this prohibition is gossip. It's just gossip. Because every time we gossip about someone, we're, we're making a judgment. I had somebody tell me not long ago, I said something about gossip about somebody and they said, well, it's, it's not gossip if it's true. Oh, yes, it is. If it's, if it's shared with the intent, especially of saying, you know, I would never do that sort of thing. You know, I'm above that, but you won't believe what somebody else is doing. Then it's just as much the wrong kind of judgment here that Jesus is talking about as anything else. If it's not true, it's called slander and malice. If it's true... And used in a way, and, and sometimes we Christians can be really guilty of that in our prayer request. You know, we're in a small group and we're offering prayer requests or on Wednesday night or whatever. And we say, well, you know, I really don't want to talk about this, but I really think we need to pray for old so-and-so. You're not going to believe what he's doing. And he needs to be confronted by God with this. And, and you start unfolding sin in another person's life with all the details as you understand them. And as they apply to what you think is wrong. Jesus says, don't get caught up in that. That's one of the biggest traps of the devil for believers you'll ever see. Jesus saying here, you will do righteous judgment when the word of God affects your life and then you live it out and you get the log out of your eye. Then you can go to your friend and say, you know, I see a speck. I see a beam. I, I mean, I see a, a, I see a splinter. In your eye. Let me help you with that. Let me, and they don't look back and say, well, how can you help my speck with your, that log in your eye? Jesus is saying, listen, for the person who is in the kingdom, for the man or woman who truly knows the gospel, and the gospel has touched your life and filled your life, and the gospel has, has brought you to a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ, then this ought to be how your life is lived out in relation to the judgment of God. You see Him as the judge. You see, for, for Christians, we see Him as Father and as judge. We understand that, and we understand that because He has the right to judge, He's already judged us through the cross of Christ. And now with His grace and with His compassion and with His love, we ought to be sharing that gospel with others so that they will be set free from the ultimate judgment of God and brought into the relationship of father-child. That's what Jesus is saying here. So verse 7 is misquoted many times. Every person wants to use it. 
as their own ammunition. But it fails miserably as ammunition against rightly judging according to God's Word. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is really important. This is really valuable. This is really, this is really practical stuff for you and me. The Word of God first cleanses us. Then He uses us as agents of His kingdom. Agents of the gospel. To go out and see other lives cleansed as well. Let's pray together. Father, our hearts desire to be in tune with your heart, your will, your purpose. Lord, sometimes we can be like David. And our anger can burn and we can become just incensed over somebody else's sin. When, if, we're really, if we really got the log out of our own eye, their sin will cause us to have compassion, not anger. It'll cause us to show grace, not anger. It'll cause us to seek to help, not to reject. Father, these are hard words that sometimes pierce as, as Nathan's words pierce. You're the one. But help us, Father, to take your truth, your gospel message, your, the gospel truth, and live it and let it, let it abide within us in such a powerful way that we come to you in repentance over our logs and then minister those who have specks. Father, teach us to walk. Teach us to walk in your presence every day in every respect. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.